You're listening to Igniting Imagination, a podcast to spark the spirit within you from Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation. This season, we are sharing conversations about the five adaptive muscles the church must strengthen to be fit, agile, and ready for God's now. For more information about these muscles, visit tmf-fdn.org and click Leadership Ministry. Welcome, friends. Thank you for joining us for our sixth and final episode this season about the five adaptive muscles that congregations need to strengthen in order to be fit, agile, and ready for God's now. I'm back with my colleagues and fitness buddies, Scott Sharp and Blair Thompson-White. Hey, y'all. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. So what a great season this has been on the five adaptive muscles. As a leadership ministry team, we've been strengthening and exercising these muscles for about 20 months now. And as we've shared them, folks, of course, have asked questions and offered comments and shared their own stories. And so now's a good time to say, listeners, if you have questions or comments about the muscles, we'd love to hear from you. So I thought before diving into our final muscle, expanding imagination, we could respond to a few questions that we've received about the muscles. Now, notice I said respond and not answer because we aren't experts here. Really, we're just trying to start a conversation. And so let's just take a few of the questions that we're hearing more often than not. So the first question we've heard a few times, especially from pastors, is something along the lines of, okay, these muscles are a lot to process. And it can feel like adding more to my already super long to-do list. So why should we work on these muscles when there's so much else to do right now? So Blair and Scott, I would love to hear from you all what your thoughts are on this. I think I have a couple of responses, Lisa. First, that that kind of comment is really helpful because I think it does uh, illustrate the stress that many pastors are under. And it reminds me of the old bumper sticker, Jesus is coming, look busy. But but it's more than that. I, I think... I think the contemplative work that goes inherently into each of these muscles is really also a filter that we're asking people to look through in about every aspect of ministry. So what does looking through the muscle of grieving well say to you about your congregation? So it's not adding something to do. It's, It's adding a way to be in the midst of all that. Because again, this muscular metaphor is so much about being embodied in ministry. It's not about being aloof and something to do. It's really about exercising our way through space, through the space of pastoral ministry or through the space of being a layperson in a church. So we're not asking people to do more necessarily, but be differently. Yeah, that's right, Scott. And I think the other piece of it, for me, and this comes from the work that we've done with pastors is, I mean, there is, and this is, I'm not saying anything that folks don't know or haven't read about, but even most recently, Barna has released numbers about the amount of pastors who are feeling burnout and really considering other line of work. It's it's shocking, the numbers, you know, and I, I believe that the work of the muscles is an antidote to burnout because this is the work that we're called to do. It's deep, it's thoughtful. Um, So we can get so lost and focused on the technical challenges of the church, of which there are many. And this 
this adaptive work, these muscles, I mean, this is, this is what we're called to do. This is our, 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 this is God's purpose for us as pastors. Um, so I think in doing, although it may feel like additional work in doing them, it, it in fact ends up being just, a gift. And uh, the pastors we worked with have said, this work is like a sanctuary to me. You know, they use that, that language of, and this is refreshing. And, and so I think, I think folks that engage in this and, and leadership boards that engage in this will be refreshed by it because it's taking the conversation from problem solving to the deeper purpose work that, that we're all supposed to be about. Yeah. One of the other things I think about is, a comment that I heard someone say, we have a lot of important work to do and we're hurried to do it. We better work slowly. So the second question we hear often is just frankly, how do we start exercising the muscles? And and related to that, which muscles should we start with? So first of all, I think that, that building awareness of physiology when you talk about muscles helps one determine you know how to work out right so you know we kind of get their major muscle groups and all that kind of stuff but when you really start to try to work out you really start to identify and focus upon the more specific muscles within the major muscle groups and really naming these muscles these five adaptive muscles is part of what we've done like so these are the major major muscle groups so i think that's the first step you take oh we have these muscles so then you start thinking about what does it mean to exercise discerning purpose well that's part of why we're doing sort of our our work with pastors. That's why these podcasts are helpful to start planting seeds and to start kind of exercising the thought about what it means to start thinking about purpose. And again, kind of seeing through that filter when we're meeting with an administrative council meeting or when we're talking about some decision that has to be made in the church. So I think it's just like these small steps toward feeling these muscles being exercised in our in our ministry more. And really that kind of does go back to I'm now aware of them. Sometimes I I feel them when they're sore, obviously exercising them more. And then sometimes it's like, oh, I have not done that. I have I've skipped uh imagination day for now for a month. I better exercise that muscle a little bit. Yeah, I love that, Scott. Lisa, what do you think about this? I want to get you in on this. So as we've worked with these muscles, we've realized that there really is kind of a a rhythm to this, an an order almost, that it's very difficult to, to listen to where God is calling us if we're wrapped up in grief, right? So starting with this notion of naming our grief and and tending to it and makes sense and and gives us a sense of being able to listen to where God is. Okay. And so that actually happens throughout the muscles. They actually build on each other. But here's the other thing. It's not a one and done. You don't tend to your grief and then you leave it. Because the reality is, and and we'll get to this in, in this podcast, in this episode, that when you get to expanding imagination and you try new things, there's loss involved in that, right? Of the way you used to do something or what you've held on to. And so you tending to grief is an ongoing 
uh, need to exercise that muscle, right? As is having a listening posture, a discerning posture to where God is calling us, as is uh, walking alongside, right? They're, they are all muscles that we want to exercise on a regular basis. So, so part of starting is, is really just jumping in with that first naming um, and then really listen for where God is leading, right? If we can uh, start with that one first faithful step and then move through and not sort of get overwhelmed with starting all five at the same time. Yeah, Lisa, that reminds me of when Jesus calls those first disciples and says, hey, you fishermen, think about it. No, I mean, he says, follow me, like get up, exercise your body and walk, you know? I was like, wait a second. <laughs> wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take your first step. Follow yeah. me. There. I mean, it's so physical. Yeah. It's just so physical. So our conversation with Dr. Amy Oden in this episode really helps us to think about not only expanding imagination, but how the other muscles lead up to and our inner woven with expanding imagination. And before we get to the interview, Scott, would you just tell us a little bit about Amy and just give us some insight into your conversation with her? Yeah, I'd be happy to, Lisa. I've known Amy since 1995, and she is a presence. She's just a soulful presence. And she has turned that into uh, her ability to, to teach uh, at several different seminaries. She's taught at several different seminaries and currently teaching at various seminaries. She is a writer, and she's written about Christian hospitality, Christian mindfulness and practice. And she is just a, a person who has been a mentor and a guide to countless students. So you can find out more about her at amyoden.com, which is her website. But our conversation was really about the layers upon expanding imagination. And as you said, the way that the other muscles connect with that. And just as she does in just her beautiful way, she was able to speak to that in terms of awe and creativity and hospitality and grief and even a little bit of curiosity. Yeah, so one of the things that really struck me that Amy shared in the interview, Scott, is that this idea that we should look for the gifts of the Holy Spirit in each other and not just look, but also speak into each other what the gifts are. <laughs> like, here are the gifts I see in you. And I just love that. Like, I cannot imagine how transformative that would be in our lives, in the life of the church, if we did that. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, yeah, imagine. It would expand imagination because we would have people <laughs> seeing their gifts and seeing God's invitation to use those gifts. So I, I just love that. I'm, I'm going to start taking that on of how do I recognize the Holy Spirit's gifts in people and then how do I name that for them? I mean, that takes a, that takes a little bit of holy boldness to do that, but yeah. that is what we're called to do. Yeah, and, and you think about what, what it would be like if, if, if Christian communities started taking on that role and what that would mean for people who are trying to discern their vocation in life, not just their employment what would it be like if you know we were talking to young people at confirmation or or people who are graduating high school instead of giving them some lame you know gift card to somewhere we had you know people who are significant religious leaders sitting down with these high school graduates to say this is what we've seen in you this is who we know you to be and and the same for people who are older i mean 
it would be just an incredibly different experience. And it would tap into our, our Christian history about vocation and what it means to expand a community's imagination about who everyone is in that. It's just amazing. And it's a discipline that we would have to practice. Back to exercising muscles, right? <laughs> it takes exercise and practice and discipline and it's a new lens. Yeah. And I, and I think that's one of the things that really spoke to me from Amy's interview is that notion of connecting discipline with imagination. You know, in any sort of artistic endeavor, any sort of work endeavor, you, it, you know, what's the old saying? It's 90% perspiration, 10% inspiration. I mean, it's the work of it all. That is life-giving ultimately. I mean, I think when the work is drudgery and not life-giving, we need to ask ourselves if we're doing the right work, you know, the right exercises, the right practices. This invitation is an invitation into new energy, renewed energy, the Holy Spirit kind of energy. In re-listening to this conversation, Scott, I was struck by the depth of understanding about how our faith and our spiritual practices connect with expanding imagination. That's not the immediate place that we go. And yet you and Amy both were able to draw us back to spiritual practices. I was like not only convicted, but energized to I've just started this um, regular practice of contemplative prayer. And, and so, you know, when you do that, you have to remind yourself of your intention. And I'm like, oh, expanding imagination is part of my intention here, like to, to stay in the curious. And so I was so appreciative of those words from you and from Amy, really meaningful. And there's one other thing I wanted to mention before we get into the interview, you all have this really tender moment about Amy's husband, Perry, and how meaningful his relationship with you is to you. And, um, and of course, Amy's, Amy's tenderness and grief and, and courage around that. Will, will you say a word about that? Yeah, and, and you bet. Thank, thank you, Lisa, because you know, Perry and I go way back and, he was a beautiful soul, just a neat man. And as as Amy talks about, he suffered from early onset dementia, and uh, and he actually died at the uh, end of October, very first part of November. So I, I think this I think this interview is a memorial to him in a lot of ways. And I think you know, because he was he was in a I think he would appreciate being associated with expanding imagination. Is he he kind of lived his life that way, so it's it's oh, it's nice. beautifully it's beautifully appropriate that we mention him as we talk about this muscle. Thank you. So let's listen to Scott's conversation with Dr. Amy Odin. Hi, friends. I'm here today with Dr. Amy Oden, who uh, we heard a little bit about in our opening. But beyond that, she is a friend and a deep soul in my life and was even willing to read my doctoral dissertation. So she's uh, also long-suffering. So, Amy, good to see you, and thanks for being with us today. Yeah, it's, a, it's such a treat to be here. 
Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that this weekend. I mean, I think I've known you now for like 25 years. And all these Yeah, in all these different ways. And so when yeah. we were talking about a person that might speak to the adaptive muscle of expanding imagination, you came to my mind, not only for the times in which I, I saw you uh, taking students either out onto the lawn or having them lie down in one of the rooms to pray or uh, your work on Christian spirituality or, or the, the, the notion and the work that you've done on hospitality or the sermon that I heard you preach about awe. All of those led me to think we need to talk with Amy about expanding imagination. So, if if I can just ask you off the top of your head, when you hear that notion of expanding imagination as it might apply to the church or especially in the pandemic sense, what, what comes to your mind and heart? I, I immediately hear Jesus's teachings trying to get folks to imagine the kingdom of God, imagine how God might be present right in their midst, sort of breaking out of all of the, the religious boxes and the religious baggage that they had carried around in his own tradition. And then I hear the way early Christians kind of took off with that and played with it. You know, in, in the period of the Enlightenment, our recent intellectual heritage became rather suspicious of the imagination. And there's a lot of theological suspicion around it as a dangerous place, you know, uh, for the human will and, and a thing we shouldn't trust. But if we go back to Jesus and we go back to the early church, we see how much the imagination is really critical for Christian life. I would say and we can talk about curiosity some, I think it is very much tied to curiosity. And I think that's a fundamental Christian practice and Christian Mm. posture um, that we see emerge as well in the early church. So I think it's exciting to me to see that now um, I think Christians are rediscovering and embracing imagination again as part of the way we know who God is. Yeah. I mean, I really appreciate you grounding us in Jesus. I mean, what a thought. But that notion, you know, the way he talked about the kingdom of God was more descriptive rather than definitive. It's like, it's metaphor, it's simile. How do you think that the early church wound up expressing that or embodying that sort of descriptive nature of the kingdom rather than the the definitive nature? Because we have all the arguments about creedal statements about the definitive. How do you think that the early church dealt with the descriptive? You know, and, and they are just like us, right? They struggled with wanting to get it right, you know, and, and to figure out, well, you know, what does it mean if the if the kingdom is like a mustard seed or, you know, so so I don't want to romanticize right, <laughs> early Christians as, as always being able to imagine. But I think tying their imagining of the kingdom, tying that to the presence of the spirit in their midst is really key, right? It's not just a flight of fancy. It's not just about, well, what's the most outrageous Thing I can think of in my brain, but rather it's being attuned and connected to the presence of the Spirit such that they had an inner freedom, right? An inner freedom to, this is how the desert Christians, for example, would talk about inner freedom from the drives, the addictions, the anxieties, the fears that 
keep us in our blinders on. And so how do, so they would talk about how do we cultivate the freedom that is required to then be available to the presence of the Holy Spirit and the ways God imagines, you know, the flourishing of all creation far beyond what we could even imagine. And so when I think about those early Christians, I think about just really good, solid spiritual practices that help us, you know, stay connected to that, the triune God, you know, whose life we participate in in every moment all the time. I think the fact that you know, for the first 300 years or so, Christians are real outsiders in the culture, right? They, it's not legal yet. And that really keeps them below the radar in ways that keep Christian groups, communities, churches, very local, right? We don't have anything approximating some large quality control, institutional, bureaucratic, body until well into the fourth century. And so I think just having things be so contextual and so local also helps maintain that kind of freedom that is necessary. Yeah. So so I think that's where that note where where you kind of said earlier about the notion of curiosity. You know, and so mm-hmm. curiosity seems to be the contextual entry point for imagination. Like we see something, we experience something, we have something happen in our neighborhood, so to speak, or in our, mm-hmm. even in our own community of faith, which then, if I hear you correctly, it sort of entertains the notion of, well, what are our spiritual practices informing us about that curiosity into the whole imagination of God? Am I getting that feedback loop right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, what practices do, what spiritual practices do is help us stay in the curiosity instead of moving so quickly to resolution. So curiosity, I think, is first and foremost a willingness to withhold drawing conclusions, right? A willingness to withhold the need to get it right and already know the answer, which is so much a part of modern epistemology uh, in the last four or 500 years. And so that, that takes discipline. It takes discipline to withhold that really strong muscle that we've developed very well of jumping to resolution. But instead, what, what spiritual practices do is help us stay in the unknowing the not knowing, the not jumping to conclusions long enough to pay attention to what God is up to here, right? Instead of what I'm up to or what my congregation is up to or what I think my supervisor thinks I should be up to, right? All of those things. So yeah, that's the feedback loop is to stay in the curiosity in order to be attentive, right? To pay attention. God's up to something. Jesus says the kingdom is right. It's it's at our doorstep. Don't miss it, right? And we miss it when we jump to the conclusion. Yeah, I I appreciate you saying it that way because part of the reason that we've named these the adaptive muscles is because adaptive implies that there's learning involved to be able to flex them, so to speak. So this is not problem solving. Mm -hmm. The church is not problem solving, although... As you said, we have a highly, highly advanced problem-solving muscle. <laughs> so, so that adaptive notion, that stance of being willing to learn and being willing to, willing to be curious, is so wonderful. I appreciate the way you said that a lot, Amy. Thank you very much. 
So there's a couple things that overlap for me in this. We often think about imagination and sort of creativity as individual pursuits. Like they're, they're creative people and imagination is mine. And, you know, and yet I hear what you're talking about as being a communal staying in the curiosity. It's, it is individual, but it is in the context of the community. And I wonder, I wonder if the notion of what you've worked on in terms of hospitality informs that too. Like we have to be at the table with the stranger and the other for real imagination, for it to be dynamic in the way that it crosses over the problems that we see between each other. Does, does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, because what welcoming the stranger requires us to take some risks, right? That's one of the marks of real gospel welcome is that we are risking something. Doesn't mean we're reckless, we're not risking everything, but we're risking we're risking some things. And another mark of that welcome is being transformed. It's repentance, right? It's being turned, being changed by the folks we welcome because we all know that experience. You have a friend from another country, from another culture, from another racial group, and that experience transforms the way you see the world, right? All of a sudden, it's not business as usual. You don't hear the news the same way anymore. You see the world anew because of that experience of welcoming. So when we think about imagination, uh, yeah, hospitality is is a practice that will call us to to have eyes to see things anew and, and afresh. I think imagination in community within the body of Christ means cultivating eyes to see and ears to hear. That is, how do we see in one another and in our body collectively what God might be up to? How do we learn to recognize the movement of the Holy Spirit? How do we learn to discern and and recognize in one another the ways, the gifts we bring to the table are going to bless this body and the world. So that, for example, to learn to be able to speak into, you know, Scott Sharp's life and say, Scott, I see this gift in you that I I haven't, you know, you're just starting to use it, but I think that could be a gift that that we could really use right now. Let's see what God's doing with that, right? Learning to speak into each other's lives as well as our communal life, I think is part of that attentiveness, right? That re- That is required for imagination to flourish. Yeah. So it's, it's not just, I mean, I love how, again, going back to the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is now and here, but it is also to come. So there is that notion that we're looking at the kingdom of God in the very people that we're having to sit across the table with at dinner, in our meals, that we're having to have conversations with, that we're voting with, that we're voting against, that we're doing all these things. That's part of the kingdom of God. It's not just the ever after. So the imagination part, the expanding imagination muscle also is inviting us to look in the present, as you said, about how things can be even in this moment. Mm-hmm. But that's so hard, Amy. <laughs> yeah. It takes risk. It takes knowing that we'll miss it, that I 
I'll get it wrong. And I think for many of us, it feels like loss. It feels like dying because we're losing the world as we've known it. We're losing the structures that we benefited from or found secure. And I think especially for those of us with white skin, you know, we're experiencing the deconstruction of privilege in ways that for many of us mostly feels like loss, not like some exciting thing God is doing. Mm-hmm. And so it, it does take, uh, that's why we need one another, right? None of us can do this alone because it takes a deep abiding confidence, trust that, that in fact, God is doing something. God is doing a new thing. And our central core story is that it probably will look like death before it looks like resurrection. You're, it's so interesting, Amy, because you're naming so many of the other different muscles that we're talking about in, in this podcast. So, those other four grieving well and walking alongside and discernment and distributing power. And, and and we're finding how all of those are so connected that you can't just talk about one without talking about the other. And that's been so interesting. So, I really appreciate mm-hmm. that. So, and what I'm really interested about in terms of what you just said was in terms of, do you see a sense of how this notion of imagination staying grounded in the curious, staying in the moment of God's real presence, how does that link then back to grief when our world is turned upside down? Mm -hmm. My most recent scholarship, my most recent book is on the practice of Christian mindfulness and the ways those Christian practices bring us back into our bodies. Mm. And that's where we carry grief, right? Tears are such a physical, clear, and and let me just share very personally, you know, I've been on a really, I've been in a really hard season of my life. My husband had early uh, onset dementia, frontotemporal dementia, and I've been his primary caregiver for the last seven years, six, seven years. He doesn't know me anymore. He can't really communicate. The grief of losing him over and over every day. And 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 I even just talking about it now, right? I can feel it right here in my chest. I can feel it in my body. That how important it is for me to pause and instead of stuffing that or setting it aside, because I need to look professional, to soften into the way God has given us, when we're mindful, when we pay attention to our bodies, God has given us this incredible gift of embodiment where God is often revealed, right? God speaks to us through our bodies, and, and that's often where grief shows up. A lot of times we don't even, you know, we may have had this experience where I don't even know I'm carrying grief until out of the blue, you know, a wave hits and, and tears well up or it's just a, a lump in your throat, right? And your body, uh, God has our attention. <laughs> I mean, there's this central teaching, our central teaching, the Word became flesh, right? The good news of Jesus Christ. God chose to become human, and so there is no higher endorsement of the human body than the incarnation <laughs> itself, right? So, of course, God is going to speak to us through our bodies, and 
And so that's a long way around of saying that that those attentive practices, prayer practices, mindfulness practices, to be aware of what God is up to in the present moment, certainly, especially where the where the larger church is right now, will often bring us into grief. Now, what that often presents as is frustration, anger, anxiety, blaming, right? And that's often a way to not be in our bodies. So I, I think that's where Christian spiritual practices can be so helpful. They keep us in our bodies. Amy, thank you. Amy's husband, Perry, and I used to play guitar together and ride bikes together. And he was a one of the neatest people I've ever known. Yeah. Yeah. That's a it's a lovely memory that I cherish. Yeah. Yeah. Just a funny, funny man. Just a just a talented guy all around. He was a mechanic and he could fix anything and just oh my gosh. Well amazing. Anything. Yeah, thank you. Um so I, w- I do want to ask you one last thing. Uh-huh. I want to I want to ask you about awe and mm. that sort mm. of that that orientation toward the holy. I mean, there there is a part of the personal Jesus that I want Jesus to be my friend, and you know, I I do want that. But there is also the sense that that sort of almost domesticates Jesus in a way that's not comfortable to me, and so. When I'm thinking about expanding imagination, there is a the risk part that you talked about. There's a notion that the risk between individuals is there, but it's also to present myself with a, another other people of a congregation or a faith community to present ourselves to God and say, "Oh yeah, expand our imagination." That's like giving a kid a can of gasoline and a match without the notion of awe and the holy. And I wonder if if you could speak to kind of what awe means for you in terms of this this whole sense of being before God in a way of asking with all humility that we would love to have our imagination expanded for the sake of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, part of asking to have our imaginations expanded is confession, right? That's a confession Hmm. that I don't know everything, right? That's why I need my, I need help expanding my imagination. It's a confession that, that we don't have it all figured out. It's a confession that God's life is so much bigger than we thought. And that all of the things we think we know are not sufficient to redeem the world. <laughs> and, and so I think that that is a is a posture that that's what often brings us into asking to have our imagination expanded. I think the older I get, the more astonished I am. And and I want to live in that kind of astonishment. You know that anything is here at all when there could be nothing. You know that astonishment that God didn't have to create anything and yet here we are i mean the astonishment that 
that, you know, the chances of 10 trillion kajillion to one that this particular set of chromosomes and molecules would come together to make this particular human being, you know, the odds of that are astronomical. The generations of humanity it took to produce me in this chromosomal combination that is entirely unique, that's astonishing. And so I think I think our our some of our best helpers in in awe are scientists. Scientists mm. are amazing practitioners of awe. And they're they're looking in microscopes and telescopes and helping us see that God's life in creation again is so much more both complex and beautiful and simple and terrifying, all those things. So so I think we can also partner with folks who can help us to be in that awe, in that astonishment, and in the unknowing, right? And this is the big pushback we're in now in the postmodern period, I think from the modern period, from the enlightenment, with yay enlightenment, I'm all for cognitive brain function. I mean, having gone through this with my husband. And particularly in Protestant Christianity, we've really been held hostage to it. We've really privileged the cognitive in a way that has not allowed us to be in this larger space of unknowing and how important that is for awe, for astonishment, and for imagination. Yeah. I feel really privileged to be an unknowing because I, I live there all the time, it feels like. <laughs> Yeah. I think the other I think yeah. the other group that can teach us again is children. You know, that children, sense of absolutely. you know, I mean, we have Jesus pointed them out for a darn good reason. You know? Mm -hmm. So I yeah. think my kids make me expand my imagination every darn day. <laughs> so absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Amy, as always spending time with you is such a gift and it deepens it deepens the invitation in my life to be present so thank you so much for your time to be with us today mm -hmm. means a lot and thanks for doing these podcasts you know you're you're spreading holy conversation and we need it so thanks yeah well you know it's you know making up for other conversations i've spread before <laughs> Well, thanks. Igniting Imagination is a production of the Leadership Ministry Team at Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation with excellent editing support from TruthWork Media. The beautiful music in our episode is from Mark Miller. For more information about Mark, visit his website at markamillermusic.com and find his music on YouTube. Check out our show notes and website for more information about all our guests and how you can follow them. I'm Blair Thompson-White, and from all of us at Leadership Ministry, thanks for listening. <laughs>